0: Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF with your host Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Sunny. Karen Friedman Agnifilo for <laughs> those that can watch us on YouTube. We have an action-packed deep dive into the most consequential and uh, influential issues at the intersection of law and politics at the midweek. We've specially curated this show for you, Karen and me, and, and here we go. We're going to go right into her, her old her old stomping grounds. What is going on at the Manhattan DA's office? Looks like we've awakened a sleepy giant for some reason. And we got two issues that we're going to dive into with Karen who, who who better to guide us through this as a spirit guide than Karen Friedman. We're gonna talk about Michael Cohen, going in earlier this week to be interviewed publicly. Everybody knows about it. He, he even went on the Midas Touch Network and gave a a uh, news breaking interview to our co anchor and partner Ben Mysalis about What happened with Stormy Daniels again, as if we don't already know, but the new prosecutors on the team with Alvin Bragg wanted to have a formal meeting, wanted to debrief and find out how Michael Cohen could help them about the $130,000 payment that was made way back when, um, first by Michael Cohen and then reimbursed by Donald Trump to pay off Stormy Daniels while candidate Trump ran for office and whether there is a New York crime, a New York felony, as, compare, as compared to misdemeanor that may be implicated and that Alvin Bragg's team is looking at now. We'll talk about that with Karen Friedman at Nifolo. And then we're gonna talk about, uh, we, you know, we, we've had a lot of um, conversation, I'll put it nicely, and chat off of our and Karen's Alvin Bragg interview last week, Mr. Bragg, kind enough to come on the show. And there's of course, two sides to every story. And one side of that story is, is uh, two now former prosecutors that were, uh, especially assigned to the case by Karen's former boss, Cy Vance, and that was Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz. And Mark Pomerantz has decided to write all about it, or write a tell-all in a memoir published by Simon & Schuster coming out next month, which is called People vs. Donald Trump. We've always wanted to have that in a caption. <laughs> and Mark Pomerantz has gone one better and wants to write a book about it, but the Manhattan DA's office is not happy about it and has written a letter as a I guess a precursor to a possible lawsuit and we'll talk about that because they think Mark Pomerantz may reveal the secret sauce um, or comment inappropriately about witnesses and evidence on about an ongoing criminal investigation because yes Mr. Pomerantz left the case but the case didn't leave the office and it's still going on and we'll talk about it from a, at least an ex prosecutor's perspective to the extent that Karen can talk about that. And then we'll we'll shift gears from the Manhattan DA's office, and we'll head south on 95 to Miami and to Tallahassee, Florida, and find out why Ron DeSantis is going to trial for his migrant dump off stunt, where he took Texas migrants, not even ones in Florida, who showed up yearning to breathe free, yearning to be Americans. And instead, he put them on transportation and dumped them off as a stunt in, you know, different places like uh, Massachusetts and, you know, the vice president's house and all of that. And he got sued over it by a Democratic state senator from South Florida and uh, the Leon County, which is up in Tallahassee judge said, Mr. DeSantis, you're going to trial on this. Uh, We're going to find out whether you violated the Florida Constitution. Florida rules and statutes related to how laws get passed and how appropriations get spent, you spent $12 million on this stunt. Let's find out if that violated the Florida Constitution. And while we're at it, let's find out if it violated the federal US Constitution and the right of the US government to be supreme in the areas of immigration. And then we're going to wrap it up with the Proud Boys, Proud Boys, Proud Boys, and their trial that's going on in front of Judge Kelly in Washington, DC at present started earlier in the week, we had opening statements, we'll talk about the defense angle, which seems to be trying to take a page out of the losing book of Stuart Rhodes. I don't know why you'd follow Stuart Rhodes, uh, one of the Oath Keepers, he already got convicted of the very thing that your clients are now uh, also being tried for. I don't know why you thought that was a good idea. But We'll talk about their openings. We'll talk about how the case is progressing from both a defense lawyer's perspective and a former prosecutor's perspective in Karen. Karen, I'm breathless already. How are you in your sunny locale?
1: (laughs) I'm great. Traveling for business, but always have time for legal AF. So super excited to be here. I love the new glasses, Popok.
0: Thank you. Now that you're you're one of... Few, you're one of a handful, that <laughs> but, but it does allow me to see you clearly on YouTube on our on our live our live, and I know that you're in a nice sunny place, and I'm happy about that. But once again, demonstrating that we don't sleep at Legal AF, and we don't sleep at the Midas Touch Network. <laughs> our producer certainly hasn't slept. Uh, thank, thank you, Brett Mycellis, for stepping in and, and helping us with the show tonight. So let's let's kick it off. Everybody doesn't want to know about where you're where you're at and where, about my new eyewear. They want to know about what's going on in your office uh, and talk about Breathless. So let me frame it, and then I'm just going to sit back and let you talk about it to the to the best that you can. Here's what we here's what we now know. And we know this also from a breaking story that the Midas Touch Network was able to bring to you through Michael Cohen, our fellow podcaster, who, when he wasn't a podcaster, also went to jail because of his involvement with Donald Trump and got out of jail because he was retaliated against when he tried to publish a book. So all of this comes full circle with Michael Cohen being brought in publicly to have, well, it's publicly because Michael told everybody about it and have an interview with the Manhattan DA's office with the what appears to be a new set of prosecutors that have been brought in, not Don and Pomerantz who left last February very noisily. We'll talk about that next, but Alvin Bra- Bragg's handpicked prosecutors for this and they're getting back down to the nitty gritty on Stormy Daniels, the $130,000 hush payment. And back behind the scenes, this is where you can really bring, bring, it, bring it home. What is the crime, the felony in New York State that they may be looking at related to uh, the hush money? As compared to, you know, listen, you don't have to comment on it if you can't, but the reporting is that Cy Vance took one look at the hush money issue and sort of said, "Mm, I don't see how I ramp it up from misdemeanor to felony and I'm going to go a different direction. At least that's the report. It could be totally wrong. I don't have insider knowledge. I didn't work in the office, but you did. So let's turn to you. Let's start with Michael Cohen going in. What does it mean? What happened? And what do you think it means for the future about whether Alvin Bragg and his team of prosecutors is going to actually bring a felony prosecution against Donald Trump for the Stormy Daniels hush money payment?
1: So Alvin Bragg has said now for a long time that there is an active and ongoing investigation into Donald Trump and at least one. And and there could be several but unfortunately, because most investigations happen behind closed doors, a lot of people thought or think that nothing is going on. But I think what we're seeing is Alvin Bragg is clearly still investigating and potentially bringing charges against Donald Trump. And he confirmed it when he came on to our special a special edition um, interview podcast last week. And he said, yes, there's an active ongoing investigation, multiple investigations. And when I say multiple, I mean multiple different crimes because you follow the facts wherever they lead. And sometimes they bleed in together to each other. Sometimes they're separate. And this came on the heels of of the really astounding uh, conviction that he got against the Trump Corporation and the Trump payroll. And Michael Cohen uh, reported yesterday That he had met with the DA's office, again, because we all know he had met with the DA's office, the Manhattan DA's office, I think he said 13 times uh, over a year ago. And this was the first time, though, he's met with the new administration, with Alvin Bragg, because last time it was Cy Vance and, as you said, Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz. And he didn't tell us a lot because he promised them he would keep it quiet. I give him a lot of credit for that. I don't think you should talk about a pending investigation. It can actually hurt the investigation. And and this this actually bleeds nicely into our next topic, the book you mentioned that Mark Pomerantz is writing. And I have very mixed feelings about that for the reason uh, that I'm just saying. I, and I so I give Michael Cohen a lot of credit for the fact that he is honoring their request to not speak about it publicly. Because, frankly, he, he can't he – can, talk publicly if he wanted to, but they asked him not to, because it does potentially impact the case. And I respect him for doing it. He said that he spoke to them for about two and a half hours. And that's about, he wouldn't even tell us who the prosecutors are that, that he met with. So I I tried to Figure it out through my own uh, my own back channels. The DA's office wouldn't confirm for me or tell me or give me any indication of who the prosecutors are that he met with. But I believe my best guess, just from you know what I can glean from everything. Here comes breaking news:
0: that, Karen Friedman's going <laughs> to break I the news be, here.
1: I I could be wrong though. Let's just say, but my view, what I believe.
0: You rarely are. Who is it?
1: (laughs) I believe that there's, so there's an executive ADA who was brought in for gun violence prevention. His name is Peter Pope. And Peter Pope is a long-term public servant. And he worked for Elliot Spitzer when he was governor. He was a criminal defense attorney. He also worked in the Manhattan DA's office for years. He's just been in, he was at the New York, yeah, the New York Attorney General's office um, in, in various roles. He worked for something called the New York City School Construction Authority. Um, He's he's done a lot of different a lot of different things. And he's he's a very senior, very well respected prosecutor. And although he has a lot of experience in gun violence, and that's, and that's what he knows, I a lot of us, you know, kind of raised our, our eyebrows a little bit that he'd come over just for that. So I believe he's also the lead prosecutor on the Stormy Daniels Hush Money Trump case. I believe he that's what he's working on. And if that's the case, he's really an exceptional uh, high level person who I, I think, again, you wouldn't attract someone like Peter Pope unless it was something really big. So I think he is supervising the case. and the other person who I think is on the case, is a senior investigative prosecutor. Her name is Catherine McCaw. And Catherine McCaw is uh, very smart, very respected. She, I think she went to Harvard. um, I think she was a clerk, you know, just a very good, smart lawyer who works in the investigation division, which means she's very experienced in white collar crime. And interestingly, she was the lead prosecutor on the, um, the case that uh, against Anna Sorkin, that the Netflix mm. series Inventing Anna was um, based on. So Which she would be- Which I know is a, a the, favorite
0: of yours. I know that was a favorite show of yours. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It was a great show. <laughs> so she, she, first of all, she has a lot of experience dealing with both tricky defendants, because Anna Sorkin was not easy. She has a lot of experience dealing with high-profile tricky defendants for that same reason. And, and obviously, Trump is, is Anna Sorkin on steroids, but it's a, but she, she can handle that with Peter. And um, those are the two that I believe are on the case. And if that's the case, I will tell you, I don't know why people don't believe Alvin Bragg that he has a pending investigation that he's looking at, but it is clear to me, you know, you don't put serious prosecutors and have them spend all of their career or I should say all of their time, you know, doing this. And, and certainly they wouldn't do it if it wasn't a real prosecution, just like Jack Smith. He's another one. If, if there was no, you know, this isn't lip service. This is people who are genuinely looking at this and taking a, a, a hard look at whether or not so, you so can let me prosecute ask you a these question. cases.
0: Let me ask you a question. What,
1: what are the, what are the crimes?
0: well yeah with full well first brett's going to put up a cry on the bottom that says kfa predicts peter pope and Catherine mccaw are the prosecutors which i love whether it's true or not we'll, we'll find out but it certainly is your best guess <laughs> i can't think of anybody making a better guess so serious prosecutors for a serious crime the crime of false rep- false records which is I paid hush money to Stormy Daniels, but in the Trump Organization books, I listed it as some sort of other business expense or something like that, just so we, we frame the question, is a misdemeanor in New York. Yeah, it's filing
1: yeah. a false, in, you know, it's falsifying business records or filing a false instrument. And um, yeah, it's up a misdemeanor. It to up, and- but to up
0: it to up, it's a felony, you got to have you got to have a second crime that's being covered up it has to be right?
1: yeah it has to be concealing another crime exactly to make it a felony that and is so correct so what do
0: you think what do you think well first of all and you can say i can't talk about it but i'm going to ask it because everybody on our podcast knows you work for Cy vance do do you know why he Cy, uh, at least if the reporting is correct didn't think they had the second crime in order to elevate it to a felony
1: so i think at the time that he was looking at it it, you have to remember, there was a long protracted battle to try and get Trump's tax returns. And in fact, there was litigation for years and years and years. Because if, so for example, he you, he he um, paid this money back to Michael Cohen that we know. So he had Michael Cohen pay Stormy Daniels. And then he reimbursed Michael Cohen. If he then cooked his taxes, you know, cooked the books, if you will, uh, so that it looked like a that was a business offense or a business, you know, a business write-off, which it actually would not count as one. Then that could be considered a tax crime, and so that could be could increase it to a felony. But if you recall, Cy Vance didn't have those tax returns for a long time because Donald Trump was fighting that. And that wove its way up and down the state courts and the federal courts all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, where actually Carrie Dunn was the lawyer who argued this before the United States Supreme Court, and uh, they were able to obtain Donald Trump's tax returns. Now, even though I was in the office at the time that we received the tax returns, I never saw them because we kept those, or they kept those, and continue to, I assume, under incredible lock and key secret, you know, like, certainly, you know, treated them like they were classified top secret, you know, compartmentalized, whatever, like they, they handled it so that nobody would have access to that unless you needed to. And I I didn't need to um, at the time. And so I, I never even saw them. But I would imagine that at this point, you know, and there were many, 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 many pages because there are many, many years. So I imagine at this point, they have gone through them and perhaps they have uncovered a, something that makes it a felony or perhaps not. And it's still a misdemeanor. Uh, interestingly, and I and I asked um, Alvin Bragg about this, D.A. Bragg, when he was on the show, I said my understanding or my calculation of things is and this is just not this is just based on things that i've read and, and talked to people about is that the statute of limitations is running in may of this year and some people might say well i don't understand because a felony statute of limitations is five years and a misdemeanor statute of limitations is two years in new york which means you have to commence charges within either five years if its a felony or two years if it's a misdemeanor, and one would say yes, but these payments occurred—the the hush money payment occurred in 2015, and Donald Trump paid Michael Cohen back uh, over a series. 2018,
0: 2018. Yeah, over a series. Yeah,
1: I think it was 2016, but whatever it was. All right.
0: Okay.
1: Um, what? Yeah, I think it was 2015 into 2016. And so the statute of limitations will would have run on both, but there is an exception in the New York law that allows for a tolling of the statute of limitations or a pressing pause on the statute of limitations. And that is when a person, a defendant, is out of the jurisdiction for a continuous period of time. So basically, if he's being charged, you know they're going to have to do a math equation and prove. And look, he was out of the jurisdiction. He was out of the state for a period of time because he was in Washington D.C. while he was pregnant. He pre- pregnant, excuse me, president. And um, that would and, be breaking news. <laughs> I, I, sorry, sorry, I don't know where that came from or, or why that came out of my mouth. But um, anyway, but between his in time in Washington D.C. <laughs> and in and in Bedminster, Bedminster. Um, I think the, I think this calculation is that it pushes it out to May of 2023. And if that's the case, Alvin Bragg, the DA said he one way or another, if the guy's indicted, you, the indictment will speak for itself and if he's not indicted, he promised he would explain why. So I, it's okay. very clear that that is being investigated right now. One other thing I want to I want to also talk about about why this is a slightly trickier case to bring than just your average case, which is Michael Cohen is a double edged sword for a prosecutor. He's an extraordinary insider. And he is an absolute uh, fantastic witness. He's he's will explain everything that happened in in detail. The issue, however, is, and I think Cy Vance had this issue, and I think Alvin Bragg will have this issue, is a prosecutor is has to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt, and Michael Cohen is going to have to be corroborated. Everything he says is pretty much going to have to be corroborated, and that's because – not just because he has criminal convictions for some of the conduct that he engaged in with Donald Trump, but a little more tricky for a prosecutor is that he has also a criminal conviction in addition to the tax fraud, bank fraud, fraud and campaign finance fraud. Um, He pled guilty to lying under oath to the Senate. and
0: Uh, About Stormy Daniels, right?
1: Well, I think it was about building a Trump tower in Moscow. But either oh, okay. way, he has he has admitted to lying under oath. And and as a defense attorney, you know Popok, we would have oh, yeah. a field day with him about you're under oath now, etc. So, you know, he also has, you know, he, a lot of strong feelings about Trump and you know and he went the name and, of and he went,
0: and, yeah, and he went before you get to the name of the book he went to jail and got out because he argued successfully to a judge that he was retaliated against by the trump administration yeah in terms of in terms of his incarceration and otherwise um so yeah he cut look we all like michael as a podcaster and a person and he certainly has paid his debt to society and we all believe he's telling the truth but i think what we're outlining here is that he comes with a little bit of baggage. And if you don't have, and maybe yeah. we'll turn next to Alan Weisselberg, if you don't have a second corroborating witness, the defense can try to inject and may be successful to inject reasonable doubt into a jury's mind through Michael.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, hope, I hope if Michael are, is listening to this, he doesn't take offense to what I'm saying because I, I think Michael's, you know, I think he's extraordinary. I think what he's doing to give back to society for for what he's done and continues to give back I think uh, deserves a lot of um, respect and and frankly prosecutors deal deal with and have witnesses who have criminal convictions all the time so I, I don't think that's the issue I think it's his Look, he has a a bias against trump you know he i think i think is in his book called revenge you know i mean he he very much there's just a lot that can be done and again the conviction for lying under oath i think is of a different nature than just committing crimes and so i think they're going to have to corroborate that and hopefully we'll see soon whether or not uh, a case can be brought here um look the other thing that should be noted is is um, Michael Cohen pled guilty to federal campaign laws stemming from his role in this very payment. But the feds passed on charging Trump for it. And so it's a little tricky then to have, you know, for for a state prosecutor to say, look, the feds, this is a federal election. And so it's clearly, if anything, a violation of federal election laws not necessarily state election laws. And and the state doesn't have jurisdiction to prosecute things under federal election laws, only state. And if the feds passed on it, it makes it a little harder for for, for the state, for a state prosecutor to do it without more. So we'll see. Let
0: let me jump in on that one and not to get too esoteric. And then we got to move on to our related Manhattan DA issue with Mark Pomerantz. But if the issue is in order to get the second crime on the books to amp it a felony. If your goal is to have a felony prosecution of Donald Trump, you need the second crime. And if the question is, can the second crime be a federal election campaign violation as opposed to a New York state law? And the problem is him running for federal office and making that payment. Everybody's been sort of hard pressed to find that the New York state crime, that is the second crime necessary to, to elevate this to a uh, to a felony. If you're using the federal one, you go right back to the problem that you just identified, Karen, which is the federal prosecutors didn't prosecute that crime. And so exactly. you have you, you have a judge sitting in state court listening to these motions to dismiss arguments with what is you know, the whole the whole day will be spent and briefing will be spent on is there a second crime here? Is it appropriate? Is it the second crime that is required under New York law? Or is it or is it not? And, uh, and just to uh, clarify or to do an editorial correction. You were right. I was wrong. It's 2016. I just saw it on my notes. So that was when the payment was the hush money. It's so long ago. It's hard to believe this is still kicking around. But all right. So look, this is a good follow up to your interview with um, with uh, DA Bragg um, and look, in the future, we may have the other side of the story, and that other side of the story includes people like Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, who, when Mark's not writing a book, you know, is founding a new law firm devoted to you know public interest and all of that. But you know, listen, in a very it's not surprising, everybody that's a lawyer that was somehow majorly involved with Donald Trump wants to write a book, and so you know, he's he's got the right to do that as long as he doesn't violate you know Manhattan DA policies. You know, ethics laws and the like. And we'll get into that in a moment. So, Mark, I'll frame it and turn it over to you. Mark Pomerantz, who, to remind everybody, was one of the special prosecutors, picked and appointed, taken out of private practice, brought in by Cy Vance solely to look at basically all things Donald Trump, along with his, another private lawyer, Carrie Dunn. And so, uh, and, uh, you know, they didn't really give, they didn't really give Alvin Bragg much time to settle into his seat. Um, Alvin uh, took oath of office Jan one of last year. By February, Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, in a very huffy, noisy departure, said, you're not going to prosecute this case after we recommended it. We're out. And that was it. And, you know, the, the, the reporting at the time was Alvin didn't say no. He just said, I need more time. I want more evidence developed. This is now my. You know, buck stops with me as the prosecutor on this, not you, you know, even though you were specially appointed for this. And it's like we're, we're 30 days in we're like what? What's basically the rush? I'm paraphrasing. That's my artist rendering of Alvin Breck. So but it did happen in February. We know the timing because you and I covered it at the time. Uh, when they left with a with a letter that was written, and now that letter is turned into a 304-page manuscript submitted to Simon and Schuster with the title, you know, "The People versus Donald Trump." With Mark Pomerantz, this is what the editor is telling the the public: Mark Pomerantz will disclose why he thinks Donald Trump should be prosecuted. And now the assumption, I think rightly so, by the Manhattan DA's office is: Are you a? Your information is sort of stale. You left a year ago. You we have an ongoing this backs. Is this reinforces the point you made, Karen, at the top of the show, why people are, are, are saying there isn't or they don't think there's an ongoing investigation led by Alvin Bragg and his team against Donald Trump. There is because they wouldn't send a letter, the cease and desist letter that they've sent this week, yesterday to Simon and Schuster saying, you should not, cannot publish that memoir unless we take a look at it. He's violated internal policies. He did not get the permission of the Manhattan DA to publish it. His information is stale. He's commenting about an existing criminal investigation that may be uh, compromised by the revelation of whatever is in your book. We don't even know what's in your book because he never got around to sending it to us. So, So stop. Now, they haven't taken the added step yet, yet of filing a motion in in New York State or federal court asking for some sort of what's called prior restraint order, which is hard to do. We'll talk about that at the end to stop the publication. But they did put them on notice and put Pomerantz on notice. Of course, Pomerantz came back with, I do everything ethically correct. And there's nothing wrong with the book I'm about to publish. And there's two organizations um, Karen, that came out that were interesting that when you're, when you're giving your overview of this and your own opinion of it, I'd like you to comment on, which is the two other um, entities that were CC'd on the letter by the Manhattan DA's general counsel, who I assume you know, but you'll tell us that. One is the Conflict, Conflicts of Interest uh, Bureau, and the other one is the Department of Investigation. Uh, the DOI, which are also cc'd on the letter to Simon and Schuster. So that's a long winded framing of the issue. Let's talk about it. You've been there in the office for over 20 years. I'm sure this is not the first book that was written, or maybe you're going to tell us it was the first. It's the first book ever written by a former prosecutor while a prosecution's still going on. What do you think? Did, is Mark Pomerantz right to have published this book or about to publish this book?
1: So this is a tricky one for me. So Because – so let's just talk about Alvin Bragg for a minute. Uh, As you know, we had him on the show last week, and and I loved the commentary that we got having him on the show because it was some of the liveliest commentary that we've ever – that I've ever had on anything that I've done on Legal AF. Maybe you guys have – you and Ben have had much more lively commentary, and and there were people who had strong opinions about it. Some people loved the investigation, and other people thought that there I didn't ask tough questions of Alvin Bragg, and that I didn't ask him about exactly this Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz, and and whether and about the case, et cetera. But what people need to know is that I would never have gotten Alvin Bragg to come on the podcast if I asked any of those questions, he just wouldn't have come on because you don't talk about a pending investigation. And if I had, I actually agreed ahead of time that I wouldn't ask those questions. And, you know, I I thought there was enough to talk about without that. So, so let's now talk about, about this, this book and what's happening here. Um, when, so, Kerry Dunn is someone who I worked with for a long time. And he's a really, really smart, thoughtful, by-the-book lawyer, and he is—he's—he's he's kind of a lawyer's lawyer, if you will. And and he wasn't brought on specially to do Trump. Um, he he worked in the office for a while under Cy Vance, and he was just a really excellent general counsel the role that Leslie Dubeck, the woman who signed the letter you just talked about now has for Alvin Bragg. Um, and Carrie Dunn, you know, as the general counselor, was like the lawyer to the DA, you know, and, and he advised the office on on all things. And so, you know, I, I for example, I wasn't surprised that Carrie Dunn, although he resigned, didn't leak his resignation letter because Carrie Dunn is a very by-the-book kind of guy. And I'm also not surprised that Carrie Dunn, isn't on uh, isn't on the Mark Pomerantz book um, because again it's just not in keeping with who Carrie Dunn at least the Carrie Dunn I know is um, although they are uh, law partners they just started a not for profit Carrie Dunn and Mark Pomerantz to handle uh, to handpick and handle cases um, that are not kind of. Statement civil rights y kind of cases about, you know, election interference, abortion rights, that kind of stuff. And, and I give them a lot of credit for what they're trying to do. The Mark Pomerantz, I don't know. I, I, I never really worked with him. So I don't know him as well. And he came on to the office as I was leaving. I, I don't, we might have overlapped for a very brief period of time, but we certainly didn't work together. And You know, he was brought on as a special prosecutor to bring this or to investigate and potentially bring this case. And he worked with Kerry, who was already on the case. And to bring him on as a special prosecutor, he had to sign a written agreement. And he signed this written agreement with the office uh, to be under an obligation uh, basically to to bind himself Uh, that he would have to get prior written permission from the DA's office before making any disclosures relating to the existence, nature, or content of any communications or records or documents that related to this investigation. And that language was put in this letter that Leslie Dubeck wrote to Simon & Schuster and Mark Pomerantz. and the reason that was put in is because talking publicly about an ongoing pending investigation actually hurts the case. And it, you, need to not, you need to be able to do these things in a way that witnesses can't tailor their testimony, that they're not going to hide evidence, that they're, you know, like we, ha- like we, I'm not a prosecutor anymore. Prosecutors have to be able to do this. And, and so that language was deliberately put in there. And and, you know, frankly, it's just not done. Prosecutors just when you are a prosecutor in a million years, you wouldn't talk about a pending investigation that could hurt the pending investigation. It just so I was just frankly kind of shocked about this. Uh, has book. it and, ever happened? And- has it
0: ever happened in the 20 years that you were the number two in the office where a prosecutor special or otherwise wrote a memoir about an existing uh, criminal prosecution?
1: Not that I know of. Not certainly that I can think of. And yeah. I don't want to say no for sure because somebody is going to say, don't you remember when X, Y, and Z happened? But not that I know of because it's 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 just not done. And, you know, frankly, when, when Carrie and, and Mark, and I give Mark Pomerantz a lot of deference because he's with Carrie and I have so much respect for Carrie. So I've always sort of grouped them together. But I have to say, you know, whereas I viewed them – is a little bit not I don't want to say heroes you know but when they kind of resigned in protest and they thought even if the case was a little bit hard to do it was worthy of doing and they were resigned in protest and there was a little part of me that kind of felt like they were a little bit like they were heroes but when you write a book and you benefit from it and and you can hurt the investigation I don't know I I no longer I have to say I, I just see it slightly differently at that at this point given what alvin bragg has specifically said you know why i don't know why no one's believing him you know I, look i've never Can worked ask, for alvin bragg yeah. i don't
0: <clears throat> <laughs>
1: no i don't know the You're guy not here to other than, alvin. you know
0: right.
1: yeah exactly i've never worked for him i have but, no loyalty to him yeah
0: but, but let me you know, ask you a question like that people said are over and add. over again yeah, yeah.
1: No, just he said over and over again, there is an active investigation. And I don't know why people aren't believing him, but hopefully with Michael Cohen going in, they see that.
0: I'm less worried about what people believe about Alvin Bragg, but I do have a question about something you've said a couple of times now about Mark Pomerantz and others that would write a book like this. You said it could hurt the prosecution. So explain briefly to our listeners and followers how, how a year old, a book written when you don't know what's in it, By a prosecutor who was on a team but left a year ago, while the while the criminal prosecution continues to develop under the leadership of new prosecutors and all, how could that hurt the prosecution? Right? Make the argument for how that could hurt a prosecution.
1: So, because I don't know the facts of that case, I'm going to talk about a hypothetical case, okay? And one that I think would be easy for people to understand. So, if you had, let's say a high-profile murder case, and it's all over the news, but you don't have anyone under arrest. What the police do is they deliberately hold back evidence and information because lots of people come forward and they say, I saw this, or I didn't see this, or confess to the crime. You know, Some people will say that, or that they know someone who confessed to the crime. And the police and prosecutors will use this information that they've held back to hear what people are saying about the case, because if they are saying, no, I I saw this and I saw the guy was wearing red shoes, but no one's ever said that before, you know that that person has information that can be corroborated by evidence that you have that hasn't been spoken about publicly. Another thing is, there are witnesses who might be sympathetic to a defendant, right? His family, his friends, etc. If they know what all the evidence is ahead of time, they can tailor their testimony so that it support that somehow it supports what what that what the you know the defense or the prosecution frankly so you really want to not yeah. leak information the other thing and, that can happen is people can destroy evidence right if they know right. that that something is really important to a case they could erase the videotape or throw out the documents or delete the emails whatever it is yeah. you know there there are ways to do that and so it's important not to do not to do those things but also you know the thing is there are witnesses too who are very reticent to come forward think about let's talk about donald trump I mean look what look what has happened to anybody who has come forward and testified or said anything or come into his orbit at all. He unleashes a tirade and a fury against them. People's lives are ru- are ruined, you know, those those poll those poor poll workers, you know, that that nice woman Ruby Freeman, you know, and and her and her mother you know who who literally lives are destroyed because he's so vindictive when he hears that anyone has done anything so the minute anyone talks about oh well this person saw this or this person did that you're not if you had a witness that was maybe agreeing to go into the grand Mm -hmm. jury but doesn't want their life destroyed the minute that all comes out especially in a case like this you've lost those witnesses those people are not going to cooperate and they're not necessarily going to come forward. So there are many ways. Yeah. I'll give you one more. Go ahead.
0: I'll give you, I'll give you one more. Why would you want, we don't know what's in Mark Pomerantz's book. That's the problem. But if Mark Pomerantz is giving a roadmap or any kind of blueprint for what the prosecution is looking at, what they thought about and discarded, what they're pursuing, you know, even if it's a year old, it'll help the defense in advance. And why, why showcase and why give out any information or intel? That's why you keep everything under wraps. That's why we don't know much about what's going on with Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice and Jack Smith, other than when he issues subpoenas where people come in for interviews and the reporters are sitting around taking notes. Um, there's a reason for that. And one of them is you don't want to tip off the defense either. So listen, we're going to have to see. Maybe one day we get to talk to Mark Pomerantz. He's going to be, I guess, very highly sought after. You know, um, do you think the Manhattan will leave it on this before we move on to our, our sponsor and to the and to the and to the next topic? Do you think that um, the Manhattan DA office, uh, your old office, goes all the way and brings a injunction in court to stop its publication? But let me just let me frame it this way before you answer it. There is a constitutional body of law called the No Prior Restraint Doctrine, which says that in a, in a democracy and the Founding Fathers were very strong on this, the press, no matter really how they get the information, even if it's leaked to them, has the right to publish it and to let the public see it to keep our to keep people accountable. And it starts with, you know, there's a 1931 case um, that actually kind of set it out near versus Minnesota, but then the case that everybody sort of remembers because it's also been portrayed in a couple of movies is the Pentagon Papers you know, with Daniel Ellsberg revealing confidential information that he obtained from a source about how the war in Vietnam and Cambodia was going, not well, uh, and different than the way that the generals and the president was saying the war was going. And he leaked that to the Washington Post, the New York Times, and they were about to run it and publish it. And there was a, you know, the government ran in to try to stop it. And that's where the US Supreme Court in a six to three decision basically said our bedrock principle of First Amendment constitutional rights is that if a publisher, whether it's Simon and Schuster or The New York Times or Washbow, has the right to publish this once it got into their hands, and even I've seen cases along these lines. A lot, you know, using the, the Pentagon Papers as, as the foundation, even in the area where it could compromise an intelligence investigation, a criminal investigation, once it sort of gets into the hands of the publisher, you know, it sort of has to be, they have to be allowed to publish. So my question to you is, knowing that doctrine, do you think it, that the Manhattan DA office goes in and tries to stop Simon and Schuster from publishing?
1: So the, my understanding is what the letter the letter isn't a cease and desist because of what you just said because of prior restraint and so my understanding is what the letter does is it basically asks them to give ask Simon and Schuster and Mark Pomerantz to give the DA's office a copy of the book of the manuscript they. And and the DA's office specifically has said, this is not a cease and desist. This is what we're trying to do is protect the integrity of the investigation. And so I think what they want is to review the manuscript. They've promised to do it in 60 days. So they're not going to hold up this publication for long and let them know if there's anything that could hurt the investigation. Now, 60 days from now, um, also takes you closer to the statute of limitations, so maybe they can bring the case before that, and it won't. And then the publication of this doesn't doesn't hurt it. You know, we also don't know if the Stormy Daniels case is now bigger. If the case that the Manhattan DA's office is doing is the hush money payments plus, right? We don't know what's happened in the last year, and so it could be more than it could be the stuff that Mark Pomerantz was was looking at. And you know, the other thing is the the there are two there are two separate people in different in different um, positions, right? There's Simon and Schuster and whoever their parent organization is, who I think you're right. Once they have it, they publish it. I don't see why they wouldn't give the Manhattan DA's office an advanced copy. I don't see how they are hurt by that and and allow them to review it. But I think there's also Mark Pomerantz and and what is his liability, right? He's the one who went and wrote the book. And so I think he potentially is uh, going to have a little bit of a problem if this gets – if this gets um published right you you mentioned in the beginning that the conflict of interest uh board which is also for you know we, we call coib uh you you mentioned that that's an issue that they cc'd them and that the department of investigation doi was also cc'd and that's because i think pomerantz has a few areas that if i were him i'd be slightly worried about you know he's it's a good thing he has a law firm now <laughs> to handle pro bono things because i think they're going to say this is their first cause that they're taking on, right? The, the putting putting sunlight on the Donald Trump case, and you know, and I and I think it's a noble cause. It is wanting to do that, especially if you don't think that Alvin Bragg is going to bring a case. And but I, I really do think that Alvin has said over and over and over again, you know, that he's bringing this case. And and I think Pomerantz has to worry about a couple different things. I have to, I think he has to worry about you know the fact that he didn't get uh, approval from from the Manhattan DA's office ahead of time, you know, but I guess if they do give them a copy to review and the 60 days to review it, then I guess that would be getting permission, right? Um, so I think that's one, but I think he has a few other, I I think there's a few other areas that, you know, that he has to worry about, you know, number one, most of the information that he got, don't forget, was, uh, was was got by grand jury a grand jury subpoena and you know that's protected that's in in the criminal procedure law article 190 and you know disclosure of that is a felony under the penal law section 215.70 Um, and so, you know, if he discloses secret grand jury information, that's a problem. You know, he's also facing, um, issues, you know, under the the professional conduct rules for attorneys, you know, that's where, that's where he has to worry about the conflict of interest board. And, you know, there's, there's a rule 1.6 and 3.6, you know, that, that talks about, uh, the professional conduct rules, um, you know, for, for attorneys, um, and him disclosing information about an ongoing investigation really, I think, is going to put him in a in a you know a tricky place. There's also, and I think I think there's a New York City Charter Provision, twenty six oh four d five. You know that that he is you know it, that it's tricky, and I think that's why the Department of Investigation, the DOI, was was um, was. Uh, cc'd because they want them to look at these various provisions of of him disclosing pomerant's disclosing information that could potentially hurt an ongoing so there's two separate issues right there's secret grand jury information and that's one set of crimes but then there's he's just disc- as a former prosecutor who i mean think about the r- role of a prosecutor right you're given such enormous power and so with that power you you have a great responsibility and there are rules governing what you can and cannot do with that information and he has to you know look but he has to be very careful so that he doesn't you know, he doesn't get in trouble because if he if he ruins or or get or somehow interferes with an ongoing and active investigation, that's a problem. And I think what Alvin Bragg said is you don't know whether what you said in the book, even if it's not secret grand jury material, you don't know whether your information that you that you um, are, are saying in your book, whether that's going to hurt this investigation, because you don't know what our investigation is into, because, because you've been, you've gone, been gone a
0: year. year, you've been gone for right. a year. Right. So it's right. right. So, so it's stale. The point. So but but I mean, listen, I don't want to excoriate. I mean, listen, Mark Pomerantz has his own cross to bear. Now, I think the issue that you've outlined perfectly is that even if prior restraint, um, is okay that okay is the publisher to publish it? It doesn't mean that Mark, Mark Pomerantz is out of the woods at all in terms of these potential violations. But putting that aside for a minute, and as we leave the leave this segment, the good news is that Alvin Bragg's office is defending an ongoing criminal investigation related to Donald Trump because if the naysayers were right that he's not doing anything, that he should have picked up the mantle from Dunn and Pomerantz a year ago, uh, one month into the office and taken them at their word on their evidence that, that they should have prosecuted or else if there wasn't any criminal investigation to protect. I don't think she sends the letter. Uh, the general counsel for the DA sends the letter to the Simon and Schuster, do they? <laughs> right. So no. the good news is it's I mean, an what, indicator what, what they, that there yeah. is a criminal prosecution. Yeah.
1: No, there's hundred percent. There's a there's right. an active investigation, and 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 it's different than the Stormy Daniels one. So there is That's more right. than one active, and these are different lawyers on the case, right? That's right. One other thing I want to say um, about this is, you know, and I, I had second thoughts as I was saying all these things. I had I have second thoughts because I really, when I sit, tell you that Carrie Dunn is an extraordinarily smart lawyer. I can't underscore that enough. And he wouldn't associate himself with someone who wasn't equally excellent. And so part of me wonders if this is by design, uh, if Pomerance is, you know, he's too smart. In some ways, he's too smart to do the things that I said just now, you know, he might be doing. He's just too smart. And so I, I think he's thought of all these things. I think he's somehow figured out a way to to um, walk this, you know, thread the needle, if you will. And I wonder if, if he's doing this to push Bragg and to push Bragg to do the case a little bit, you know. Yeah. And, and so we'll see. We'll see because I just can't – honestly, I, knowing the two of them or I should say knowing Carrie and then him by association, I just can't believe that they would do anything other than the right thing, the smart thing, you know, that's just not who they are, at least the, the ones I, you know, the they that I know, that's just well, not who they are. So,
0: well, yeah, whether whether um, Mark or others are in hot water or not, will be left for another day and we'll figure it out. I, I think you definitely have a honest and authentic opinion, knowing at least half of that duo about where they're at. And we'll continue to follow the story. And speaking of hot water, Karen, we're into our new sponsor time. And this is where I get to take off my glasses. And we're talking about Green Chef. And uh, the second time they've been a sponsor for our show, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Green Chef's pre-made and pre-measured sauces and dressings and spices makes keeping a healthy lifestyle even easier. Put the time you save on meal prep towards achieving your 2023 goals. Green Chef has options for every lifestyle, keto, paleo, uh, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean and gluten free as just a few examples, and Green Chef's recipes feature organic produce, premium proteins, and sustainably sourced ingredients. Raise your food standards in 2023 and reap the flavor benefits. It's the only meal kit that has both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. That's why we love them on the show because we're very. Uh, a pro environment we like to keep our environment and keep it healthy i personally enjoyed learning about and using green chef's meal kits it took the thinking out of healthy and tasty meal making on days when my family is pressed for time running 100 miles an hour in opposite directions and we tried things like in the we we were able to try the mediterranean set with menus changing every week and and discounts that come out to about $5.40 a meal. We've tried roasted chicken with lemon crema. We've tried the pecan crusted sustainable sockeye salmon. And just as a personal story, I have a neighbor who's 94 years old, who unfortunately took a spill at home and had to spend some time in a rehabilitation center, she came home. And one of the first things I introduced her to was um, was uh, this sponsor was Green Chef and the meal kits, which she's enjoyed. And we're going to set her up with a, with meal kits. So she she has them while she's a little bit laid up in the house. And it's just another, another thing to think about, not just you, but others in your life or around your life that could benefit from having these really high quality meal kits delivered to their home. It reduces waste when you use them. It's environmentally friendly. And here at Legal AF, Karen and I have negotiated a terrific discount for first-time customers of 60% off. To get it, you go to greenchef.com slash legalaf60. That's G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot com slash legalaf60, which is 6-0, and get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, and we are so pleased to have them as a sponsor. Right, Karen?
1: I had never used a meal kit before, and I have to say, I am a huge fan. It made things so much easier just to have all the ingredients already pre-measured, pre-made, all there. And and as you said, the no waste was fantastic, that you did not, you had, you had just the right amount. And the onions that i had to cut the ends off of, or the lime after i squeezed it i threw it in my loamy and so i had <laughs> no waste from my greens my green chef and i loved it i love
0: combining our sponsors right <laughs> that oh, is i've
1: become you have no idea yes. what, what these sponsors yes. have turned me into i have yeah, become I'm, i am so into all of this i love people it people
0: should understand that we try the products we like the products if we don't like the products we don't allow them to sponsor on the show so that's 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 coming from the anchors direct. Yeah, direct, and I do, and I do research. You. Yeah, 1000%. So let's move on to our next segment now that we've done covered the entire waterfront related to the Manhattan DA's office. Let's talk about that other candidate for high office, potentially in the Republican Party, Governor Ron DeSantis. And he I guess he thought uh, when he was doing the political stunts using human lives um, as his props, when he used Florida funds several months ago to divert Texas uh, attempted uh, um, uh, immigrants. In other words, people who wanted to apply for immigration status, they're, off, they're often to, uh, referred to in the press as migrants. I don't really like that. I like to say people that would yearn to breathe free. They'd like to be Americans. They'd like to have legal status in this country. It, and they come you know, At leave- least
1: migrants better than you know, illegal alien, which is what well, well, the DeSantis not using, of the world call them.
0: Yeah, we're not using that term here. But but those 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 human beings, who by the way didn't want to go to Florida and certainly didn't want to go to the places that they were dumped off, whether it's Kamala Harris's house or Joe Biden's, the White House or or state houses in in uh, in Massachusetts, they don't want to go to these places. They want to they want to be embraced by a loving, forgiving. Uh, dignified immigration process and country, and welcomed. Instead, this is all. This is all not disputed. This can't be disputed. We'll talk about the legal issues in a minute. But the facts are not disputed. He used twelve million dollars, Governor DeSantis, in the Florida budget because he's got the Florida legislature by their short hairs over his over his knee. They will do anything that he says because they genuflect to the, to the idol of governor DeSantis. And he said, I want $12 million reappropriated from COVID funds. So I can use to do a political stunt. I mean, he didn't quite say it that way, but he might as well have to take $12 million to take flights and charter planes and take people, not even in Florida. This is a problem ultimately from Texas and divert them to places where I can use human beings as human props for my political purposes in a very inhumane and despicable fashion. And the Florida legislature thought through that for a second and said, where do we sign? And they did it. But, you know, lawsuits and the firewall of our legal system, I hope people have learned on Legal AF is one place we hopefully find justice and our democracy is saved and protected and preserved. So a um, state senator named uh, Jason Pizzo, from uh, Miami North Miami Beach who sits in the legislature of the uh, Florida, brought a suit in his own name as any citizen in Florida can do, challenging the quote unquote law or guidelines or whatever they were, the appropriation of the money by the governor because the governor is not you know just like the president is not he's not a king. He's not a leviathan. He can't do whatever he wants whenever he wants it without oversight. And one of you, if your legislature isn't going to give you a checks and balance, which this one is not because they just have complete fealty to to, um, to Ron DeSantis, then you got to go into court and hope that the uh, circuit court and then the Supreme Court for the state is going to do the right thing. So the actual legal challenge here, and then I'll turn it over to you, Karen, is that the appropriation, the use of the money, according to the lawsuit filed in Tallahassee and Leon County, Florida was not appropriate because that amount of money is so substantial that it's basically a new policy and that new policy has to be at a separate bill to be considered by the House so the public can weigh in and it be freely debated on the on the floor of the Florida legislature, not buried like in Congress, the US Congress buried in some other bill. By Florida Constitution, and I I was a lawyer, as people know, in Florida for 20 years and actually practice in this area of the law uh, because my old firm represented a lot of local governments and they often had problems with the state and battled with the state as this state senator is doing. So you have to have by Florida Constitution a separate independent stated law or bill or proposed law so that it's people aren't hoodwinked. They don't wake up the next morning and go, wait a minute. They were doing something with driver's licenses, and that made you know um, people that wanted to immigrate to this country end up in Massachusetts. How did that happen? It shouldn't happen. And that is the challenge, that it's violated the Florida Constitution by the way it was framed or the way it wasn't I- appropriately in a separate law. It violated, according to the lawsuit, federal constitutional law, the preem- preeminency, the preeminent position of the federal government over issues of International immigration into this country that's supposed to be a federal issue uh, for the executive branch and others, not a state issue. And that's in the lawsuit. And DeSantis didn't like the suit and moved to dismiss it. And we have a ruling by the Leon County Circuit Court judge, which frankly, Leon County kind of trend, trends being moderate to a little bit Democrat. It's always been a little bit of a thorn in the side of all governors of Florida, including DeSantis. So what happened with this this decision and what go what what happens next from the suit, Karen?
1: So, yeah, he, the judge refused to dismiss the case against uh, DeSantis. He did dismiss it against the um, chief financial officer. Uh, I think his name was Petronas or Jimmy Petronas as a defendant um, because, you know, he's like, I just wrote the check. I, I had nothing to do with this. Um, I have a question for you though. Why did DeSantis need to do the, um, why did he have to get people from Texas? You know, why did he have to, other than the fact that he's clearly a co conspirator with the other terrible governor, Abbott, yeah. why did he have to get people from Texas? And then he stopped in the panhandle of Florida. So that they landed in Florida, because I guess he must have known that they had to somehow set foot on Florida in order to be able to use this money. I just didn't understand why he had to go to Texas to pick people up. I mean, it's so terrible, as you said, what, what they did using people as stunts is terrible and, and as props, and it's just so dehumanizing. But but why did he have to go to Texas to get? I'll, to get I'll give people?
0: you my, I'll, I'll give you my view for 20 years there in the geopolitics of the area. Because the people that come to Florida to find freedom are coming from countries that are also important to DeSantis for his voting block. So they want because the only Texas has got Mexico, which makes for great television optics when you're turning away poor Mexicans from the border. And there's a lot of them. Millions of Mexicans try to get into this country in order to have freedom in America. So, A, you have a volume issue, right? You got more immigrants coming in, attempting to come in through the Texas border. That's one. The ones in Florida, pardon me, The ones in Florida are from Haiti, from Cuba, and from other countries in South and Central America who all who who have strong voting blocks of American citizens of that of that ethnicity of that culture in especially a place like South Florida. So if you're going to turn away, if he took Venezuelans, Cubans. Brazilians and Haitians and did that, he would lose South Florida in a voting block. So it was another calculated, you know, despicable decision. I can't use my own people that want to come to Florida, because that'll piss off people that would vote for me. So let me take somebody that nobody cares about, which are people coming through Texas and Mexico, and I'll ship them with my money. It's not even his money. It's the taxpayers' money of the state of Florida. And that is the problem. It wasn't even his immigration problem. It's terrible when Abbott does it in Texas. But, but But he's now He's now, Abbott is now exporting his his immigration problem to other states and giving them up for grabs. It's just like slavery, giving them up to grabs to any governor that wants them to use them as political props. These are human beings. It's disgusting. You know, some of them were dumped off in the winter in T-shirts with no coats in front of Kamala Harris's house in the middle of the night. No, not not the exact group that the suit is over with DeSantis, but it is might is might as well be. This, I mean, I I can't. It just I just get so beside myself with it. And and for people that say I'm a Republican, and that's okay. I like a two party system in this country. In order to say that, you have to, you take it all. Just like we have to take it all as Democrats and the progressive side of the of the party and the 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 left left wing of the party. You got to take it all. You got to take abortion decisions against women's rights you got to take the anti-women position you got to take the anti-ethnic and immigration position because that's your party and so that th- that's the long-winded answer to your question because who, he, would, who, who he wouldn't dare, a Republican, Popak? he wouldn't dare he, he wouldn't dare do it to the voting block connected people that came to his own state
1: that's fascinating because he's also a
0: coward he's also <laughs> he's also a coward that's the other that's the other reason mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So, um, anything else you think on the Desantis, or can we move on to our next sponsor? Another sponsor? Yeah. That we I love? mean,
1: yeah. So, so just the, the judge put it over for a January 30th trial date, which seemed really fast to me.
0: Yeah. This is going to. Tr- yeah. P- this was like a case that didn't get much uh, publicity. I know Ben, our co-anchor, did a nice hot take on it, and it got a lot of. And I did one earlier, but but no, this is going to trial. Like Desantis is on trial. His stupid policy is probably going to lose. And people might be saying, well, it just appeal. He's not going to be able to appeal to the feds. He's got to have to stay within the state system. And frankly, there's nothing to appeal right now, because the way Florida's very unique appellate system is unlike states like New York, where you can appeal everything, a discovery order. I don't want to sit for a deposition. Um, I don't like the tie that my judge is wearing today. You can run into the appellate court, as you know, in Florida. You gotta wait till like the end of the case. Like this is not, since this was not a final order and not like dispositive, they gotta, they gotta try this case. There's no place to go. Now, at the end, if they lose, they can go to this, the Florida Supreme Court, which is dominated by Republican appointed people. But right now, strap it on. They're going to trial in, in a, in an unfriendly place in a college town up in Tallahassee where, who, who, um, I'm not sure what the jury pool is going to look like, but I don't think they're going to like this stunt. And the fact that public money was used to feather uh, uh, and to promote the the, uh, career advancement uh, of, one, Ron DeSantis for presidential office.
1: Yeah, I hope you're right.
0: I don't know how he sleeps at night, but I know how you sleep at night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent segue, Popak. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So this is a sponsor that I love very much. It's Miracle Made Sheets. And it's basically a pair of sheets that are both self-cleaning and self-temperature regulating. And they're excellent quality. So if you're someone who... Uh, wakes up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend these miracle made bed sheets because they are inspired by silver infused fabrics made by NASA and they are temperature regulating bedding. So you can sleep better all night and not wake up hot or cold or, or uncomfortable because we all know a good night's sleep is one of the most important things you can get to be refreshed the next day. You know, it's their self cooling. And so you have better quality sleep. And, you know, I have to say, they actually work and Whatever this silver infused, you know, technology that they use that was developed by NASA, it's thermoregulating and it, and it's designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night. And it really, you know, you wake up because you and you feel good. And so it really, really works. They, they also are self-cleaning and something about this natural silver prevents the, I think, almost 100 percent or 99.9 percent of, of bacterial growth. And so they stay cleaner uh, three times longer than other sheets. So, you know, it's a good thing. It, 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 so you don't have to wash them as often and they'll stay cleaner and you don't have any terrible odors that sometimes happen on, on bed sheets. And they're very comfortable. They're excellent quality. They're very luxurious and, you know, they're, they are not as expensive as some of the other luxury brands, but you know, they, they still are, you know, they cost money. And, um, and so as a result, we were able, as you said, to negotiate something for the listeners to try this uh, so that it makes them um, a little more. Attainable and, you know, go to trymiracle.com slash legal AF. So try T-R-Y miracle.com slash legal AF to try them. And, you know, you'll get, you'll save over 40% off. And if you use the promo code legal AF at checkout, so that's in addition to this, um, this, this URL, the try miracle.com slash legal AF. If you put the legal AF promo code in at checkout, you'll also get three free towels. So, uh, and Miracle is so confident in this product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made and go to trymiracle.com slash AF and use the promo code LegalAF to claim your 40% off and your three-piece towel set and treat yourself.
0: That was a great new sponsor. We, we, we love to have them on board. And thanks for doing that for us and giving us that rundown, Karen. And let's do now, Let's uh, let's end the with our midweek, with just an overview, a brief overview of what's going on in another Washington, D.C. courthouse or courtroom in front of Judge Kelly this time with seditious conspirators, or at least those that are accused, the Proud Boys. We've spoken at length in the past about the about the Oath Keepers. One half of the Oath Keepers have already been tried and convicted of seditious conspiracy, including Kelly Meggs and Stuart Rhodes, the leaders of the Oath keepers, but you know, in this boy band competition, there's another comp, there's another competitor for craziest, you know, uh, unpatriotic group of people, and seditionists, and that is the Proud Boys, and they are led, or had been led until they were arrested and jailed by Enrique Enrique Tarrio out of Miami. We're back to Florida again, and a group of other people, and all the leaders of of the uh, Proud Boys and their connections, direct connections. This is undisputed. Whether the jury convicts them or not, we'll leave that for another day based on the weight of the evidence presented by the prosecutors. But it is undisputed that Enrique Tarrio is very close and has always been very close publicly with Roger Stone, who is very close publicly with Donald Trump. So by the transitive property, Enrique Tarrio is very close with Donald Trump, right? His Roger Stone has always been considered the right hand of Donald Trump, right? The fixer, and this is his fixer, and so you have that connection. And they've already infiltrated not just the the Trump the Trump organization and helping them cling to power by storming the Capitol along with the Oath Keepers, but they've also infiltrated politics at a retail level, the Miami Dade GOP the republican party in miami dade has a couple of proud boys that made their way onto the executive board of the this is i can't i having lived there i can't even say it out loud uh, proud boys have served and tried to run for and almost got on the executive board of the miami dade gop executive board and they've been very involved with like latinas for trump all these things that look like grassroots organizations but they're nothing of the kind and they're all fronts for a violent group um, who who flipped over and got uh, activated by Donald Trump when he said to you might remember them two things he tweeted come on Jan 6th to the to the electoral count. it's going to be wild and they heard that as a not even a dog whistle uh, they woke up and activated their sleeper cell of crazy uh, un-American terrorists against America and the second is you know you remember the debate they asked Donald Trump point blank, you know, how do you feel about the Proud Boys? You know, a group of white supremacists, racist, fascists, you know, uh, violent uh, people who marched in uh, in West Virginia and all of that in Charlottesville. Actually, I'm sorry, of Charlottesville, Virginia. How do you feel about them supporting you? And he said, I don't really know that organization, but uh, I've heard good things. And I just say to them, stand back and stand by. Well, they did the opposite of standing back and standing by they, they move forward and immediately attack the Capitol and they're on, they're on trial for this. Uh, the opening statements have already happened. They're blaming Donald Trump for their defense and they're taking a page out of the, uh, out of the Stuart Rhodes book, which only got Stuart Rhodes convicted. So talk to us briefly, Karen, from a prosecutor standpoint, how do you think the opening went from the defense that they're laying out to the jury? Cause you know, as trial lawyers, we can tell our listeners and followers that you you write a check to the jury in your opening. And if you don't cash that check during the course of a a case by bringing the goods, by bringing in the witnesses you promised you would bring in, by supporting the defenses or the case that you have with evidence, with witnesses, the jury's going to punish you at the end. We call it, you know, you didn't cash your check. The jury listens to everything you say in open. They write it down, and which they should. And if at the end they'll say, oh, "Remember that guy, remember that popoc guy," and he said all those things, he's going to bring all his witnesses in. He's he's going he didn't do any of that, and so you have a credibility problem as a, as an advocate. They made a lot of promises in that opening. And what did, what did you think about him as it, as it relates to the defense? And what did you think about the prosecution and their opening and where that's where that, where that that's going to go in terms of the ultimate outcome?
1: This case is slightly different than the Oath Keepers trial, because if you recall, the Oath Keepers stashed weapons uh, in Virginia in case they needed them and, you know, in a hotel. And, you know, the Proud Boys aren't accused of being armed, you know, like the Oath Keepers were, but they are accused of engaging in violence and inciting others to violence, others and a term that they use, which really bothers me and gets under my skin, but normies, I don't like that term, like normal people, normies, this is very strange. Um, And, you know, but those who didn't have ties to them, uh, and they're, and so it's a a very different um, type of case. And the the prosecution, interestingly, uh, the clip you talked about, for the 2020 election, uh, the debate with Joe Biden, when Chris Wallace asked Trump, you know, um, about not condemning white supremacists, and Trump said the quote, the famous now quote that you said, the, you know, proud boys stand back and stand by, Uh, somebody has to do something about the Antifa left, uh, or and and the left, you know, the prosecution actually played that clip in their opening, which I thought was a really excellent strategy. and basically the prosecution is saying, you know, that that they listened to Trump and they stood by and then on January sixth when, when Trump basically gave everybody the green you know, knowing that people were there armed and dangerous and gave them the green light and then pointed them, you know, to, to the Capitol, it's like, you know, that that's all part of their theory. And so I think that's how 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 they're using that is that, okay, yeah, they didn't have weapons. Uh, themselves, But they had a weaponized crowd uh, that was at their disposal. Um, the defense in this case is going to be, you know, basically Donald Trump told me to do it, but that hasn't really persuaded any jurors yet. So I'd be surprised if that works here. Uh, You know, they're going to say, oh, we can't get a fair trial because everybody you know knows about this and, you know, this is everybody – this is D.C., et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to argue that. They're going to say this is guilt by association. We're being tarred with the actions of others who we had no ties to. You
0: mean on appeal after they lose, they're going to say. Well,
1: no, because don't forget (laughs) – don't forget that – well, yeah, there's that too. But don't forget they're going to – I think they're going to argue all this stuff at – you know, there's jury nullification, right? You can – You can say to the jury, look, you know, you're just tarring us with the the feathers of, of, you know, others' actions that we had no tie to. You know, you're going to look at all the text messages, recordings, social media, you know, because the prosecution did all that, right? They did an extensive investigation. If I'm a defense attorney, I'm going to throw that in their face and say – Go ahead, jury. Look at every text message. Look at every social media. Look at every recording, and you're not going to see a single time a plot to engage in this. This was a spontaneous thing that everybody just did. There was no organized plan to attack the Capitol. Can I, can I ask you a question? Co- but they have cooperators. They have cooperators. Yeah,
0: it, that is is the reason. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm really asking it for you for the for our listeners. They're making they're making much. And they opening and otherwise with the argument that it was all spontaneous. We didn't show up for mm-hmm. this. It just it just it just flipped over and tipped over and became herd mentality and all of this other stuff. And they had some confidential informants that were embedded with the Proud Boys. Of course, the Proud Boys didn't know they were cooperating with the FBI, who sort of said something like that. But that that that's not a defense to most crimes, like. I showed up. I did all those really bad things, but but like you know, the crowd made me do it. Like that's not a defense. It it's is it a defense here because we're charging them with conspiracy and the seditious conspiracy? Is it the conspiracy that this is addressed to? That I we, we, it wasn't nothing was planned. We just all showed up, and in the spur of the moment, we just decided to attack our seat of democracy. Is that because of the conspiracy? Is the prosecution? Yeah. Is the prosecution. Yeah.
1: Yes. It's right. it's two things. I mean, first of all, conspiracy requires an agreement between two or more people, right? So they have to have agreed to do this. There, the, if if it's a spontaneous thing and everybody at the same time says, "Oh, I'm going to do this," you know, myself, it's not conspiracy. Right. Nine, right? 900, it's, it's, 900
0: it's, people. Right. Nine hundred people, each individually making a decision for themselves, with no. With no tacit agreement among them means there's no conspiracy or among or among these people.
1: Right. I mean, it might yeah. be criminal pr- trespass, right? right? But which we don't But want. it's not seditious conspi. <laughs> right. I mean, because yeah. that's a much lower crime without right. any, you know, without the same, you know, th- this has, whatever. So it's it's a it's a big it's a big deal, and um and that's why they're saying that.
0: Did you notice that we we have complementary? clothes on today our wardrobe is very complimentary you were wearing a very similar right? shades of black and gray i don't know if we <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i just i just these things just pop into my mind and i feel like sharing it with people uh, but look we're yeah, gonna follow proud great, boys Popeye. my my <laughs> my gut is that we're gonna end up in the same place that this this whole trump made me do it and Um, you know, even though I'm a proud boy and I'm a racist and I make all these comments and I've marched in, in Charlottesville and, and I've, I've attacked Antifa and, um, and I'm a violent group. They're not going to buy that they're, as their defense, one of the defense lawyers said, because each one of them, there's five of them on trial. Each one as a defense lawyer, each one gets to do an opening statement and a closing argument. And, and one of them said, it's just a drinking club. It's just a drinking club. It's a bunch of guys get together and shoot the shit with beer. No one buys this. Everybody knows the proud what the proud boys are they've become they may have started out as one thing, but they've ended up at least under Enrique Etario as something completely different and they 've become the the bodyguards of choice with the oath keepers. They might even be more violent than the Oath Keepers. I'm not sure you can. It's like two motorcycle gangs. Like, which is more violent? Like the Old Hells Angels or the or the other ones? I mean, they're all this, this sort of. It's sort of the same. And there was a lot of fighting. We're gonna have to follow this both on jury nullification arguments that are, will be made at the end of the trial and on appeal. There was a lot. Unlike the Judge Meta trial over the Oath Keepers, there there were just crazy, ridiculous arguments with the judge. Almost where the judge almost. I mean, he was this close to finding some of the defense lawyers in contempt pre-trial before the jury was selected about evidence that was going to be allowed to be brought in. I mean, two of them, two of the defense lawyers, it's reported, actually said, "Judge, if you let that piece of evidence, you let that video in," and the video is like of their their guys, their defendants. If you let that in, I'm 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 getting out of the case. And the judge said, "Okay, stop. You're not trying to threaten the court." with that if I let this piece of evidence in, you're gonna try to leave the case. First of all, I'm not even sure I'd let you out of the case. And that's a power a federal judge has not to let people out of the case. But the fact that they even went there with the federal judge and started arguing and talking over him in a a very disrespectful way shows that this is a renegade band of defense lawyers different than uh, the defense lawyers in front of Judge Mata's courtroom. And this judge has got to get them under control. Now, so far there hasn't been any reports of of it coming out and bubbling up in front of the jury but we got to keep an eye on it because this defense team does not like the judge and in the sense the judge doesn't like the defense team either
1: well i was going to ask you a question so this trial is has really gone in in fits and starts you know normally a criminal trial is very smooth right it's not you open you put on witnesses there's no interruptions i mean it, it goes um it goes it goes very smoothly and quickly but this trial uh, for whatever reason, keeps starting and stopping. And, you know, I was wondering whether it's by design, because some defense attorneys use that disruption as a tactic, yeah. right, to try to cause a mistrial, to try to, you know, throw the case in some way. And, and maybe they don't like the jury, maybe they don't like certain pieces of evidence, maybe, you know, I don't know, what do you what do you think? You think? Uh, it's, I, I, I by think you're right or? on it.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it's right, right by design. I think they. You know, it's like artificial intelligence. They, they learned from what happened in the Oath Keepers trial. Just as the prosecution, same, same office, different prosecutors, just as the prosecutors learned from, um, what happened with, and what to do better when they present the next Oath Keepers case. And it certainly filtered over to Proud Boys. I'm sure prosecutors were talking to each other about, about the things that happened. The defense is talking and they, smooth and easy and quick expeditious presentation of the evidence is not in the defense's best interest and they saw what happened over there so the more you can piss off the jury you just don't want to piss them off so much they take it out on your client you don't want to piss so so much that they're like guilty but but maybe it's creating doubt it's making it hard for the jury to follow it allows the defense to catch their breath you know it's sort of like if you're a tennis uh, a professional tennis fan it's sort of like, we all know they do it. It's like when, a, when one of the top five players or any of them is having sort of a rough match and they fall behind a little bit and to sort of change the momentum, they take that 20-minute bathroom break that pisses off everybody, including the opponent, and then they come back and win the match. It's sort of like that. And I, I definitely think that's, and that's a very good point that you're raising. I definitely think that's what's going on. And I think Judge Kelly does, is not, for whatever reason, it doesn't have them as under control The defense team, defense lawyers, as Judge Mehta has different group of people anyway. But look, everybody's learning from all of these trials. We've already got reporting out that the uh, the newest prosecutors that joined Jack Smith, one of their first stops upon arrival on the team, the two people that Jack Smith just hired, including his former right hand person from his office in public in public corruption. His first stop was to the courtroom. For the Proud Boys to meet with the trial team there and to talk to them and to observe for firsthand, so you know there's no grass growing under the feet of any prosecutor that's assigned to this to these cases, and certainly not the ones that are working directly with Jack Smith. But we've reached the end of another midweek edition of Legal AF with Michael Popok and Karen Friedman Agnifilo, in sunny someplace, but reporting in dutifully as she does. Sunny someplace, but she's reporting in dutifully. Sunny someplace. As she, as she does every week along with me um, and uh, you know there's a couple of ways that you could support this show If you enjoy it one of them is to do what you're doing now which is to watch it with us and watch it with us live and we participate in the live chat and all of that the other way is to listen to it on audio in the uh the same episode but in audio gives you some time to kind of not be bothered with the chat and really absorb all the information that we're providing and that is on any of the podcast platforms where you get your podcast from and you can just pick it whether it's google spotify or apple that we're there as Legal AF. And the other way to promote it is for the Midas Mighty and others to go on the Midas Touch merchandise store and buy things from there that shows that you're a supporter and that you're a fan, including Legal AF short sleeve t-shirts and long sleeve t-shirts and coffee mugs um and these are the ways that you can people are like how do we promote the show how do we you know we want to keep you on the air we want to keep you doing what you're doing we love what you're doing this is the way to do it and it helps it helps with the algorithms it helps us get highly ranked and highly rated and makes us come back each week twice a week along with all the hot takes and trending takes that ben and i do during the week so karen last word before we see each other again next wednesday what do you got
1: I just can't believe how much news comes out every single day, breaking. Right? We might have to do a special a special breaking news at yeah. some point. You know. And we did. That's so great. And,
0: and 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 just to compliment you and the Midas Touch Network, we have broken stories that nobody else has had and had guests on that nobody else has had in real time, even before mainstream media. And that's because we're breaking through. We're using our contacts in the industry of among our colleagues and we're bringing it here, whether it's Robbie Kaplan who came on the show, we'd like to get her back again to talk about all things Donald Trump and what she does with her law firm, or maybe one day, who knows, Carrie Dunn and Mark, Mark Pomerantz, through Karen, or maybe Cy Vance, and then we had Alvin Breck. Who knows? But just everybody needs to understand that when we talk about this show, we don't just rip it out of a you know a printer and get on here and start. We're talking about this show and how we can make it better, and the guests that we can bring on to it to just bring knowledge and and transparent information in our analysis to people every day. Karen, me, Ben, the Midas Touch brothers. The Midas Brothers, we talk every day and every, sometimes four or five times a day about how to bring amazing content to you. That's what we do for you. What you could do for us, listen, watch, subscribe, buy buy, buy materials, buy t-shirts, and we'll see you on Saturday with Ben and me for the weekend edition of Legal AF. And again on Wednesday next week with my co-host and friend, Karen Freeman, Michael Popak, signing off.
1: Bye-bye.